Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. What we want to be able to talk about is how important is food in holding on to our ties, holding on to our ancestry, holding on to our families. Um, how does that affect the love languages that we have? I know my parents show me love languages through "Have you eaten? Are you okay? Is every you know is everything good?" Um, I'd like to thank all of our panelists and also a couple of other people that I haven't named by name but have been amazing to be able to put the event together, including the All Spitfires team um, and Saima as well. I'm going to hand it. Yeah, and our security team who are doing an amazing job as well. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Selina, who's my co-founder and my sister. Uh, she's going to be chairing the panel tonight, and I'm going to let you in- let her introduce them all. But thank you again for coming down. We really, really appreciate all the love and support, and have a good day. Woo! Thank you. Can I just get um, your hands raised if you can hear this? All right. Do we need to be louder? Keep your hands up. Okay, fine. All right, cool. Um, I really just want to dive in, and I want to say thank you, firstly, to all of our panelists who are here today. Today's panel is on food and heritage, um, and I think it's really important that we kind of explore this topic. We sit in Old Spitalfields Market, which has a history which begins with food. There's been a market on site since 1638. If someone can do the math, that's a long, long, long time. Um, when King Charles I gave a license for flesh, fowl, and roots to be sold on Spitalfields, some of the vendors that you buy food from today are family and friends that are continuing their food stories. You have people like Chipsy with the biryani burger. They're perhaps trying to mesh their British identity with their original roots, and I think it's really interesting to see. Hopefully, I'll be trying it later. Um, before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about the women who sit here, and they are incredible. It will take me a little bit of time to get through their bios and what they do because they're doing a whole heap of stuff. So if we start with Fatma in the middle, she is a passionate food blogger from Yemen who believes that food is the way to understand people and cultures. When Fatma moved to London in 2014, she noticed that Yemeni cuisine was almost non-existent and rather unheard of. In 2018, she hosted London's first Yemeni pop-up brunch. Which, it, which was meet me at Fatma's to introduce Londoners to a cuisine that is born out of a rich history and trade and migration. Um, on the far end, there we have Ayan. Ayan Abdullahi is a producer and social media handler for London Open Mic Night Poetry and Shah, who will be having uh, an event at 6 p.m. today, and they'll be on this stage. Her time with the arts development program has led them to curate events outside of the standard open mic circuit, such as the Blackout Eid Party, Shah and Shiko, and see, I told you there was a lot show at the National Poetry Library, focusing on the artistic, spiritual, 
and social development of black Muslims in London. Um, Sadia Ahmed, who's on my right, is the director and founder of Everyday Muslim Heritage, which is an archive initiative first established in 2013. She's been instrumental in fundraising, project planning, and managing heritage and archive projects on the subject of British Muslim history and heritage. She's also initiated and brokered collaborations and partnerships with museums and archives, academics, artists, media professionals, and community groups across Britain. She's also established the Kisra Foundation back in 2010, which is a community group to tackle the lack of representation of Muslim communities across the heritage sector. Subsequently, the Everyday Muslim Heritage and Archive Initiative was established as an umbrella project that has formally begun to archive the British Muslim life in the UK. Um, I just want everyone to let us know what the social media handle is. Sadia. Oh, um, Everyday Muslim. Twitter is Everyday Muslim. John Mike. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm so not used to this. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's Everyday Muslim. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Fatma versus food. So that's Fatma vs food. Um, you can find me at Only Ayan on every social media, but follow Poetry and Shah. That's the important one. Lovely. And with that, let's get stuck in. I know for myself, food has been the language that I used to communicate my children's mixed heritage, introducing them from a young age to rice in its many forms. My children are Nigerian and Indian, so they have a love for biryani and jollof rice. And they really understand which one sits in which culture, and they're beginning to understand our heritage. So we realize that the relationships with food start early, and for some of us, unknowingly, we begin to form favorites and dislikes associated with those memories. I want to really begin by talking and walking through your own mem memories um, and the ones that you have with food. So our first question for today, and I also encourage the audience to contemplate and think about their own answers. I think it would be amazing to understand the cultural context of some of the conversations we're about to have. So I want to turn the focus on to you and ask you how you would describe your own heritage and to name a favorite dish and do explain what the dish is because not all of us know so how would you you would describe your own heritage and a favorite dish Sadia um, so my mum my mum's from well I start with my dad my dad's from Pakistan um, Mazirabad which is a district of Punjab uh, and my mum's so she said well she's third generation Asian born in Kenya so she's sort of Kenyan descent. I don't know how it works, what the terminology is, but her great-great-grandfather was taken from India in 1880 to build the railways. So then he was there, then my grandfather was born there, then my mum was born there, and then subsequently all of my cousins are born there except for us. So my mum got married and came here. Oh, and well, my favourite dish is palau, which is... Um, so that's rice with... I like it with lamb. Um, and it's made with um, a broth that's made from stewing the, the, the lamb with onions and whole spices. I like to call it jeweled rice, almost. It's jeweled rice, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Fatma? Over to you. Um, I would describe heritage as rich, warm and inviting, because I think that is what represents uh, Yemen, the Yemeni culture and the Yemeni people as well. I've only moved to London in 2014, so for me, heritage is what comes from Yemen. My favorite dish is called fahsa, 
Um, the name is, is Arabic and it, it's actually um, beef or lamb and it's like cut and shredded into small pieces into a stew. And then what makes it different from any other stew is that it is actually made and presented in a hot stone bowl. Um, it's a very popular dish in the north of Yemen, Sana'a, where I was raised. And the weather over there is really cold, so the stone bowl keeps it nice and warm. And you have that with bread, the best thing in the world. So perfect for our British yeah. weather. Definitely. <laughs> Not today, but perfect. What about you, Ayan? Um, so my heritage is a bit all over the place. I'm Somali, but my mum grew up in Yemen, actually. So, wow. Yeah, so we eat a lot of Yemeni food. Um, my dad's from somewhere in Ethiopia, so it's a bit different on that side too. Um, for me, the number one cultural food that stands out is uh, sambus, so our version of samosas, because I just remember every single year, it's a Ramadan food in my house. Yeah, yeah. And, I just, and I just remember my mum, her little factory line at home, you'd help make the dough and then put it on the pan and then take it off and put it in the fryer and help out with every single step of it. Um, and then wait till iftar to eat with them, even though we weren't fasting because we were too young. But that's my favorite, my fondest I memory. think a lot of us have those, those factory yeah. line memories, right? <laughs> um, the next question, when did each of you actually become aware of your dual identity? And did food play a part in this? Fatma? Um, again, because I moved to the UK very recently, I don't feel like I've, I've developed a dual identity. Because I was, I was born and raised in Yemen, and I came here about four years ago. So I'm still um, very close to that identity. And I, I actually don't really see changing um, with time, because I've spent most of my years over there in Yemen. Um, I love the UK, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Life here is really good, but this is how, um, you know, just being raised in Yemen makes me feel connected all the time, even when I'm abroad. What about yourself, Sadia? So I was born and brought up here, and I guess school dinners. School, school dinners. <laughs> Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down for school dinners? School dinners was sort of the marker of when I was like, oh, this is different food. Um, and, and then being very conscious of bringing anything that was not school dinners into my packed lunch. And I think that's where it was all sort of like there was, there was this difference, except for at school fairs when all the teachers would round up round my mom and be like, please make samosas, please make the pakoras, please, please, please. Um, and then that was the only time where it was, it, it was kind of acceptable to have our food. At, at, and in, what in was in your lunchbox? Oh, I don't know. It was just sandwiches and stuff, really. <laughs> because I, would, I, didn't, I didn't feel confident enough to take my own food. So it was... It was just crisp sandwich, chocolate drink, <laughs> the usual. But yeah, I was very conscious if my mom put a kebab in my sandwich because of the smell. It's um, amazing how we become conscious of our own identities yeah. from our lunchboxes at such a young age. What about yourself, Ian? Um, I grew up in Germany, actually. So I wasn't aware of my dual heritage until I moved here. Um, school in Germany finishes at 12 o'clock, so I never had lunch with my friends, ever. We need to move there. I know, yes. right? Um, so I think for me, I realized my dual heritage when I moved here, and I realized it wasn't just my mum making these foods. Like, it's everybody from my country that eats the same food. That's when I realized. Wicked, thank you. Um, one thing that I've realized as I've grown older, I personally began to love things that I disliked when I was younger. So there's a vegetable, I don't know how many people will know the vegetable, but it's called Corilla, and it's super bitter, like, 
And when I was young and I saw that on the dinner table, I was like, I'm all right, I'll leave that. But there's something in me now that I enjoy it and I eat it. And I think part of it is I want to keep the food story alive about Corella. I want my children to know what it is. Is there a food from your, you know, from your memory that you actually disliked and has your relationship with it changed? Are you food lovers, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I can go. Um, there is a, this, I don't, I'm sure every one of you is familiar with fenugreek seeds. Yeah. So um, one of the very traditional uh, Yemeni dishes from the north, um, which is selta, another story for that one. Um, it's normally topped up with a layer of um, ground and fluffy and frothy fenugreek. So it becomes like a whipped kind of like cream on top. And if you look at it, the color is very discouraging and the taste is even more discouraging. But then, so when we used to uh, have that as children, we used to like take out that side and my mom would just like put it on one side of the bowl and then we'll have the curry as normal. But now as I grew older, I had an appreciation for it. And then if I, we don't have fenugreek on top, it just doesn't make it the dish that it is. So with age, things change. They do, right? <laughs> Anyone want to share anything? Or maybe you have a fond memory. Well, I was going to say about fenugreek. My mum's my got into all this herbal stuff. So fenugreek and linseed ground up together in a powder. Um, one teaspoon a day is supposed to be good for your joints. I just thought oh. I'd tell you. <laughs> Food tips at Street Eats as well. Yeah, we're trying out here. What about you, darling? Is there anything that you loved or hated? I, I think the problem is I was a very, very fussy eater when I was younger, so... It's not that I disliked anything. I just had really weird rules about food. But I've grown out of that now and I'm trying Somali dishes I wouldn't try maybe 10 years ago, like things, intestines and stuff like that. Oh, wow. I know. I'm, I'm not saying I like them, but I try no, them. No, 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 yeah. but we're trying out here. We're exploring delicious. through food, right? <laughs> and what's your earliest memory of food? There's so many. I think I'll share mine. I think one of my earliest memories of food, and I feel like all the children and our families have inherited it, is eating rice with yogurt. It's such a simple thing, and you, there is a picture of I think all the grandchildren in my family with yogurt and rice, you know, across their faces. And I think for me, it's really heartwarming to see that that tradition's being continued. Any favorites or favorites for Ramadan? Famous uh, favorite foods for Ramadan. It's not favourites, but samosas are always there. Always. What's always. The, what type of filling? Well, I like mints, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Fatma? Um, I would say a dish, a Yemeni dish called shafut. Should I explain what She's that is? She's got all of the names today rolling <laughs> off, right? Come to my pop-up brunches and then you'll have everything that you want. So, there you um, go. Yeah, shafut is basically a, a very cold appetizer that we are normally have in Ramadan, but we can have in other uh, times of the year as well. Um, I'll explain it very quickly. The base is like injera, but we have like a salty version of injera. And then it's topped up with a yogurt sauce and some pomegranate. It's I love really it. A recipe good. there. Yeah. I hope you jotted that down. <laughs> and what about you, Ayan? Um, I think I've got more of a fond food memory to share. So my mom used to spoil us when we were kids. She would make this Somali version of um, pancakes we call malawah. Um, Malawa. Malawa. Yeah, we so, have that in Yemen. Yeah, there you go. Same thing. Um, it's amazing how your heritages yes, overlap. Yes, we're neighbors, so <laughs> geographically. There you go. Um, but she would always make them on Sunday mornings. 
um, and she'd wake us up just when she'd finished making the batter and put one on the pan and as soon as it's done we'd come up and eat it and while I'm eating mine my sister would have hers so we'd always have them hot off the pan. That's true love. I know it's too much I think. <laughs> no 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 definitely not. Alhamdulillah. Um, and I mean you touched on that a little bit but I think it'd be great to see like you know what was the role of your parents and how much have they influenced your heritage? Gosh it's really emotive being here sitting in Spitalfields because um, my mum and dad 30 years ago used to come here to buy fruit and vegetables for their shop um, so it's kind of like oh it's a bit different now <laughs> slightly slightly different um, but yeah both of my parents really really were integral in their love of food um, but more about their appreciation and gratitude um, both my parents came from very different social backgrounds so from my dad who has seen abject poverty we've learned not to waste to absolutely enjoy and be thankful and grateful for you know every mouthful but even just like simple things like joining in simple food um, and I think sometimes we forget just to enjoy something very basic and simple because it's we're, we're, we're lucky because we're, we're living in a life of abundance um, and abundance of taste, choice, um, and just quantity. Um, so it's, like, it's funny because I hadn't noticed this, but my husband noticed it, and he always said that whenever I see your dad eat food, it really makes me grateful and it really makes me enjoy my own food because I take time because he always, he's always very mindful of eating. Um, and I think it's, some, it's, a, it's an art that we've forgotten because we're so busy all the time. Um, we're always rushing and, and we just eat. And sometimes if it's a, a social thing, it's, it's not for the reason that we're there, it's you know, other things. So I think being mindful of food and things like that came from my dad. Um, my mum's side came from a better social background. Um, so the appreciation of different foods different tastes um, and not being afraid to try so like when we were very young where everybody like an Asian household being traditional foods my mum was cooking lasagna and trying all sorts of different you know recipes that most people Did it always go right yeah 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 my mum's an amazing cook <laughs> so yeah Wonderful. what about you darling um well when I was around 13 14 my mom forced me to go into the kitchen and learn how to cook. At that, at that time, it was like my worst nightmare because I, I just enjoy eating. I don't want to learn how to cook. But then when I grew up, I thought that was the best thing that she's done because yeah, well. I've traveled a lot and I've lived abroad a lot, whether it was for university or for different programs. But I'm still grateful for when she actually pushed me to go in because now I am able to introduce others to these simple um, dishes that represent where I come from and from my heritage. And what happened when you got into the kitchen? Well, I dreaded it for the longest time, but then once I started mastering those dishes, I, I saw the purpose behind it and I started enjoying it and making it for other people. What about you, Aya? Um, at my house, food was a bridge. So my mum and my dad are from different cultures. Um, they speak different languages, grew up completely different. And then they met in Germany. Um, far removed from home for both of them. So I think have, having to raise me and my sisters, third culture, them being from different cultures, food is what connected us. 
um, we have a few dishes in common from where my dad is from. So whenever we would eat something as simple as anjero would be like a really nice and connecting experience. It's like uh, inclusive food. Yeah, exactly. A food across borders. Lovely. Um, and were you ever embarrassed in your food heritage? Um, I know now when like I cook like traditional food, you know, before I step out the house, I'm like, gosh, I actually smell like the kitchen. And the hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Cardamom and the turmeric and all the spices that I've just cooked with. But... Part of me is like, well, that's part of my heritage. You know, that if you're going to smell of your of something, let it be your heritage. Was there a point where you ever embarrassed about it? And can you share that? The smell. The smell. Uh, yeah, uh, it was it was something that we were sort of taunted with. Oh, your food smells. So we came. You know, it wasn't when you it was say a long taunted, time ago, taunted at school. As in school. They, well, just on the street because <laughs> then back then <laughs> it was it was okay to be taunted on the street um, so yeah the smell of the food was something that I was always very conscious of even up until quite recently I guess and when I, was, I became conscious of that oh god I'm doing that I'm always like now I've cooked I'm not going to wear these clothes because they're going to smell and I'd get changed and I'm like oh my god that's still with me and you don't realize how that affects you but yeah it was the smell It's all about the utter and oud, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. What about you? Were there, was there ever a moment where you're like, you know? Not really. I guess it depends on who is representing it sometimes. So, for instance, I think um, Middle Eastern culture and South Asian and all that, the, the way that you eat the food with your hands, it all depends on how you eat it. So sometimes when I see someone not eating it the right way, I become embarrassed for them because I'm like, that's actually not the right way to do it. There's What, what's etiquette. the right way? Show us. Um, so it's like this. I don't think it should be done like that. Right. Because even in the way that it's done health-wise as well, you're not supposed to like eat huge amounts in your mouth because that will just... That will just give you digestion issues in the end. So a little bit at a time. So there's, there's a technique to it. And... I will make sure I teach some like people how to do that in If the future. If you want a workshop, yeah. she's available later. Yes. <laughs> um, and I've heard actually that you know they say that eating with your hands is sunnah. There's actually enzymes in the uh, tips of yes. your fingers that help with digestion. All about science as well here. We're yeah. really trying. What about you, Ayan? Um, I I don't remember ever feeling embarrassed about anything food-wise. I actually really love the smell of like, you know, when you pass a random auntie and you can smell yeah. the cooking. I really love that smell. But I remember being 
very embarrassed when I was younger when my mum would wear traditional clothes out. Because <laughs> I think we were the only not white people in my like home. Like you stood out. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, everyone was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and my mum was wearing like this bright pink Somali dress and I would just be like, why are you doing this? But now <laughs> I wear it. Like I went to the cinema once in a Somali dress and yeah. it was really nice and liberating. So I think these things are things you grow out of at some point. Hopefully. And I think one thing I feel like uh, you become uh, more confident in your own identity and I think food also helps bridge that gap. Absolutely. Um, what role does food play in your family now and your family cohesion, both past and present? And is food a love language in your families? And how does it manifest? You can choose to answer any side of that question. We can start with you, Fatma. You're thinking, I felt like you um, went yeah, to a thought. I'm thinking. <laughs> Let's move on to someone else while I try to form yeah. the answer. Sadia, is food a love language in your family? And how Absolutely. does it manifest? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's sort of, in our family, there's two generations. So there's an older lot, which I'm from, and then there's a younger lot. And there's differences in our food in what we like, but there's sort of there's sort of middle ground dishes like the traditional dishes that are like biryani, obviously in an Asian household will be biryani, um, and, and sort of dishes that so we kind of kind of meet in the middle. Um, but yeah, food's always been something that's really important. We have Christmas dinner because um, uh, about 30 years ago we adopted someone who used to live with my dad's, uh, who's my dad's friend, he used to live with him, but he sort of was lost touch with his family. So he was white, English, um, very different to us, and we took him in. And the one thing that we sort of did for him was to make Christmas dinner. So he taught my mom how his mom used to make it. Um, and now, you know, Bill's passed away, but we sort of have that tradition in our family where we have Christmas dinner for Bill. So it's almost to mark a memory yeah. and yeah. mark your love of someone. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's got, me, that's got a frog in my throat. Um, what about you, darling? Um, I definitely believe that food will always be a love language. Um, it, it brings people together. And, you Sounds know, like right. you said, yes. Like, like you said, everyone is really busy. So even in, in, in my house, when I used to live with my parents in Yemen... Everybody was busy in their own way, and that half an hour or one hour lunch was the only time for us to get together before everyone is off again doing their own thing. So it was our opportunity to catch up with each other while enjoying something that we that we can all eat. So for me, it's just it's an opening. Um, and now, like being abroad, um, the start of a conversation would be like, "Ma, uh, can you just tell me how do I make this?" So we can start off with that, and then at the end, I'll be like, "Oh, I'm hungry. I'm just gonna go make it. Wish me luck." So can I ask, does she give you precise measurements? She does. My mom is wow. very detailed. Hands up, whose mother does not give them precise measurements? <laughs> a little bit of this and a little bit of that, right? And you'll figure it out. Yes. I'm, I'm more like that. Like if I say, okay, uh, like I, I would measure with my eye, but my mom would always give me precise measurements. Mm. And I would always like add something of my own to it. Like I think it needs a little bit of this. So, yeah. I think, you know, in terms of the measurement tip, yeah. I think what I found with my own mom is I need to watch her cook. Yeah. I need to see how she's yes. done it. And then I realize if it's a handful or a sprinkle. <laughs> and so if you're not sure of the measurements, you need to get your mom to cook the dish and supervise, basically. Yes. What about you, Ayan? I think definitely in my culture, food is a love language. So I, I don't think, for the most part, anyway, in my household, we're not 
necessarily very verbally affectionate, but you know, my mum would always just sort of pop in randomly, like, have you eaten? Have you had something to eat? And that's, I know that's what, she, you know, for her, that's, I love you. Are you okay? Have you got money? Is everything okay? Yeah. Every question in the world is, have you eaten, basically. Um, so that was definitely a big part of it. The thing is, right now, um, my mum lives abroad, so whenever she comes to visit and she makes something, anything, like last time she made lasagna for us, it was a lot more emotions than I thought food could be. You know, it's a lot of memories. It's a lot of her sort of coming in randomly, get a second helping now, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, there's also little bits, I think, that a lot of, you know, mums from immigrant backgrounds do where, you know, we'll have an argument about something maybe and she won't apologise, but she'll come in with a plate of like apples or something like that. <laughs> or your favourite food, right? Yeah, mangoes or whatever it is. Um, so I think food is definitely a way for them to express love. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, you won't say anything to each other, but like World War II conflict within the family will be solved by a plate of apples. Yes. It's amazing. Um, and what meal growing up would be considered a speciality that you just had on occasions? There's more than one. Okay. <laughs> Hit me with two then. Um, okay, so... We have a version of, uh, of biryani called zurbian, and that would only have on Eid. Okay. And that's it. That's it. That's it. So, because my mom goes through so much effort just to make it, and then because she doesn't just make the biryani for us or the zurbian, she makes it for the people who work at my dad's uh, shop back home. So, it's always like, oh my God, it's like preparing for an event on its own. Right. But the ones that I really um, hold dear to my heart is the, the, the food that we have almost every Friday, which is, uh, well, we call it khamir, or the name that we have it at our house is mandazi. Um, that's a very common East African sort of like sweet bread. And I think that's something that migrated over to the south of Yemen. And so we make it almost every Friday at my house. And I, so for me, Friday is a special occasion. Right, nice. Go on, I, thought I, I thought I just answered it. It was in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, to be honest, I'm thinking about desserts. Um, I guess biryani again. It, you, now we have it very it's common. But why do you think up, that is? I don't know. I is don't it, know. Yeah? I don't know why. But yeah, it, it used to be sort of Eid food or guest food. And there was nergasi gofte, which was boiled eggs. And um, instead of having meatballs separately, you cover the egg with the, with the meat and then you fry them off and then you put them. And it's like a, a Mughal traditional food. Wow. And it's kind of like, yeah. you know, and it, it's quite difficult to make if you're not, if you don't get the mince right and it'll fall off. So it's, it's a tricky dish. I feel like we need to publish a recipe book after this. Yeah, yeah. Don't we're, worry, we're, we're working on that. It, so. maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What about you, Ayan? Um, so, sambus, samosas is a very. Um, seasonal dish um, we also eat it with something we call bur um, which just translates to dough some people call it kimis it's a Somali donut um, but it's not sweet it's not savory it's neutral so you either dip it in honey or you can dip it in cinnamon sugar or you can have it with the samosa and put it with like chili sauce or something like that um, I think once we moved to England when we had access to more um, ethnic foods and halal stuff um, it wouldn't be specific dates. I just would remember waking up in the morning on a Saturday or Sunday morning um, and my mum would be playing traditional music and it would mean that she's making full. She's making like a, 
broad beans. Like fava beans. Yeah, fava yeah. beans, broad beans. Really nice. It's amazing. If you want some of those dough balls, just head to a mosque on Friday. Mm-hmm. And the aunties are there giving it out. You know, they're coated and dusted in sugar. Wow. Every year they go to Regent's Park Mosque. Without fail, there is auntie with a big tub giving out those balls. Like, they're so beautiful. And it's now my children that go and grab them. I'm too old now, right? <laughs> I can't be like, auntie, can I have one? So I said my kids. Um... What role does cooking play in your life? And do you think it's important for us to know how to cook our dishes, given that restaurants are a lot more diverse now and they, do, they can cater what to us? If you look at cuisine now, even at Street Eats, we have cuisine from around the world and some of them are quite authentic. Do you think we're going to lose the art of cooking or should we fiercely hold on to the recipes and, and learn to cook them? Well... Um, Okay, so I'll start with the first part of the question about cooking. Um, I cook when I'm in the mood. So I wouldn't really call myself someone who is passionate about being in the kitchen the whole time. It's it's just not me. But then when I cook, I make sure that I make that thing very well. Um, These days, I feel like, well, cooking has become more innovative which is a great thing and it will it always invites other people to try especially those that are a little bit more picky or skeptical about certain types of food from certain types of cuisine so I like that I like the modern twist but at the same time I also like the fact that there's a lot of uh, consciousness about cooking things traditionally and bringing that back to um, this part of where we live today so I accept it I love it and the world is generally more open towards trying different things. What about you, Aya? Um, I have to be honest, cooking is not my favorite thing. Um, I don't cook very often, but when I do cook, is very authentic. I try to make my mom's recipes. I don't think I'm making them properly, Soon. if you ask her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a baker, so um, I, I bake cakes for friends, for um, family that is coming over, if we've got an event or something like that. We know whose friend we need to be, yeah? Um, that's, that's my version of, you know, bringing people together with food. I'd, I'd rather make a cake than I would make rice and meat or something like that. Cool. What about you, Sadia? So, I've been cooking for a very long time, like Fatima and my mum sort of, you know, drove me in. It's like, you know, you have to learn how to cook. And so, I was very young when I started to cook. Um, cooking is a really important part of my life. I don't think with work I can cook with as much passion and time as I'd like, but we definitely, everything's homemade, everything's authentic. Um, I try my best. (laughs) But what we do is freeze stuff, so we always make stuff in batches, so it's like, okay, if we've made some kind of, um, I don't know, made green curry paste, I always try and do it fresh, but then we'll We'll make it and freeze it so we have it again. So it's not, it's not so much effort every time we do it. Um, but also I try to incorporate vegetables from my childhood, which we don't really eat anymore, um, just so that my children know what they should taste like, what they look like, how you prepare them. And I think we're, we're kind of losing, we're losing how to, to understand our heritage through our food because we don't eat it in the same way. So that's really important. I think when we look at um, the way we translate our own heritages into the modern day, both language, food and clothing seem to be the ways that we hold on to our heritage. 
Why do you think food has been the strongest? And I mean, I have my thoughts, but do you think because it's a private affair, it's behind closed doors or, you know? Go on, I. Um, I think it's to do with the fact that food is so versatile. It can be behind closed doors. Uh, you can share it with other people. Um, you can take friends to restaurants that make very authentic food. Whereas things like fashion can be very personal, you know. Somebody might not wear traditional clothes simply because it's not their style. Um, so I think, and then again, like you mentioned, food is something you customize. So your mom might make it a specific way, but you might add something slightly different in and then it's a representation of your own third culture as opposed to your authentic heritage, if you will. So I think it's got to do with the fact that food is something that's part of everyday life as well, actually. You eat it's food every day. It's easy to share. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're, like you said, food is, is the easiest and it's the quickest way to people's hearts. And I believe food is one thing that involves all your senses all together. So it's not just about looking good or smelling good. It's, it's how it tastes and, and the sounds that, you know, come when you, when you pick that thing and just like put it in your mouth. There are certain sounds. So it's, for me, it just it makes all the senses very happy. So it will always be the fastest way to introducing yourself to others and bringing people together. That's why I'm obsessed about the whole concept of food. What about you, Sadie? Yeah, I was going to say exactly same, the same. Yeah. Um, it's the five senses. It's, it's not just there and then, what you've eaten, the sounds, sound, the, sound, the, sound, the smell of it, but it's also the memories that they evoke. Yeah. So I know we're not going to talk about the yucky memories, like, oh, that makes me, but it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, history behind that as well. So it might be foods that you might have only eaten as a child or you might have eaten at certain times with your family. Um, so I think it's it's the memory part of food that, that's really important and I think it's because food is the only one that encompasses all the five senses mm. so that's why it's the most important we're going to end on the last question um, and I think this is something to I guess translate back to the audience why is it important for you to hold on to your heritage and what message would you give to perhaps some of the younger member, uh, members of the audience or anyone struggling with their identity so why is it important for you to hold on to your heritage and what message would you give um, to people who are perhaps struggling with their heritage or identity? I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm going to go first, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because for me, I've got, I've got a lot of memories with food and, and I can pass them on to my, my children and my family. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm thinking about the people who don't, don't know their heritage as well. Um, and they, they might not feel the same connections. And I just think, well, make your own. Make new memories. Make, and, you know, and your heritage is still part of that because it's you who's creating those, those memories. And if it's you who's using food as that medium, then it's fine. Thank you. Um, I would say heritage is your story. So whether it was good or bad, it's who you are today. So hold on to it. Be grateful that you were in that position once upon a time and try to build, like you said, like new memories. And so it just becomes one full story from start to end. Um, for me, I would say that food is very important because it's something I can share. It's 
I can, it's something I can share with family members I haven't met who still live back home. It's a way my mum can explain and show her childhood to me, where she grew up, how she grew up. It's recipes that have been made the exact same way for generations. And it's a way for me to pass on who I am to my kids in the future. Inshallah. I think with that, I'd like to say, um, I hope you continue to make food memories today. Um, grab yourself something. And I want to thank um, our three panelists as well. If you want to find out about more British Muslim archiving, please talk to Sadia. If you want to find out about Yemeni supper clubs, Fatma. And a shout out for Poetry Shah later. What were you going to say? If any of you would like to perform open mic tonight's show, please find us at the registration desk and put your name down. So if anyone at Street Eats wants to perform at our open mic session, which is at 6 o'clock today, please make your way to the registration desk and you will be on the stage at 6 o'clock. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank Can you. we have a round of applause, please? Woo! Thank you so much. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.